0: and so I'm looking forward to these next couple of days. Well, let's do this. As we get started here this morning, we're going to read a a rather lengthy portion of Scripture, and then today we're going to focus on one verse, okay? Uh, But uh, this is going to be a familiar passage, and so if you have in your Bible Luke chapter number two, look with me at verse number one. The Bible says this, "...and it came to pass in the, that in, uh, in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into the Judea and to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David." to be taxed with Mary as a spouse-wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. And this shall be assigned unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts singing, uh, praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men." And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, "Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us." And they came with haste, found Mary and Joseph. And the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made it known abroad that the saying which was told them concerning this child and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told by the shepherd. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Maybe as we were reading that, you've got flashbacks of the Charlie Brown Christmas Carol that uh, my family, my kids have been watching over and over again over the last couple of weeks uh, as, uh, as they stand they read these first 20 verses, this, the birth story of Jesus. As we look at this passage this morning, we're going to work our way down to one verse and we're going to talk about something specific. We're going to talk about the first Christmas song, the first Christmas song. As we get started this morning, let's have a word of prayer and ask for the Lord's help. Father, thank you for the opportunity you give us to come together. And Lord, we look forward even at this time of the year, Christmas time. And Lord, I'm thankful for the family that you've brought together here at Whitehall Baptist Church. We thank you for each person. And God, we know that our congregation is made up of all different people from all different walks of life in all different places. But I pray that today they'd find home. And God, I pray that today that that you would move in our midst. I pray, Lord, if there's someone here, Lord, that doesn't know you as their Savior, if they've never asked you to forgive them for their sins, if they've never received the gift of eternal life, I pray that today that they would see that in your word and they would make that decision. I pray for the others that are here this morning that we would be challenged, God, by your word, Lord, to to go forward, proclaim the truths of your word and what we hear this morning. God, we thank you for... Coming to this, you coming to this earth uh, some 2,000 years ago for a purpose that we're going to look at this morning. And God, we look forward to how you're going to move in our midst. Help me, God, now as I preach to say only those things you want me to say. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've talked over these last couple of weeks about my love for Christmas music around Christmas time. Uh, we, we all came into agreement that Christmas music is to be played after Thanksgiving uh, until, uh, in, 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 and we will allow up until uh, around New Year's, okay? So we can extend it a little bit further. Uh, but we all have agreed that that is the time period we're allowed to listen to Christmas music. I'm glad that we're all in agreement on that. All right. And so, uh, but uh, as we've gone through this morning and as we've sang, the Christmas music, as we've listened to songs and and uh, as we've heard some songs that maybe we'd never heard before, I hope that it's pointed your attention to the birth of Christ. Uh, these songs that, that we've sang, it's it's all come with a with a focus, with an intention uh, to bring us to that place of the the manger and there, Christ coming to this earth. But the truth is this: as we listen to Christmas music and as we sing Christmas music, oftentimes we don't. Don't really think about the words... That we're saying, I mean, how many times have we sang and said in excelsis deo and, and not even thought about what we were actually saying until this morning when Isaac said, now what did that mean? And everybody went, Oh no, I have no idea. I was just speaking in tongues. I have no idea. Okay. I mean, that was, I mean, that's the way that it really works. And, and Isaac shared with me this past week that he was reading or listening to something that said that uh, after you've heard a song some 30 times that you don't even think about the lyrics anymore. You just, you just know them. You just sing them. You just listen to them and that could I think is very true when it comes to Christmas music in particular uh, that we sing songs and we don't even really think about what they are actually saying and the truth is is this passage of scripture that we just read this morning I mean the truth is, I mean we we know it we know the story. I mean even people that don't didn't grow up in a church background. We we know the story because like I said, we've seen it on Charlie Brown. We we've seen it, we've heard it in places. We've heard these verses before. Maybe we can't quote them uh, specifically, but we can kind of tell what was what was taking place. And we've heard it so many times that we stop thinking about the miracle that they are. The miracle of Christmas. This morning, as we dive into God's Word, we're going to look at a verse in just a moment that I believe we could call the first Christmas song. But before we get there, we got to work our way down through the passage. Just like we do every week, we, we like to take the Word of God, put it in context, and understand what's taking place all around us. And so as we found our way in verse number one, we found that there was a decree that went out by Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And listen, this was God instituting His Plan. I know none of you thought that taxes could ever be part of God's plan, but in this situation, it certainly was. God was using that tax situation where everybody had to go back to their home to fulfill His purpose, His plan. And when Joseph and Mary began to make their trip from, from Galilee to Bethlehem, many experts believe that Mary could have been as much as seven or eight months pregnant you just think about that seven or eight months pregnant Uh, in fact the bible says in verse number five that mary she was great with child okay Uh, there are people whenever they are pregnant you look at them and say oh yes they are pregnant and there's others that you look at and say yeah they're great with child no don't say that okay but that's what goes through your mind okay so so mary was was what seven maybe eight months pregnant and we know that the trip from galilee to bethlehem was roughly 90 miles And they didn't just jump in their SUV and drive there, okay? Uh, I mean, worst case scenario, Mary had to walk that distance, 90 miles. More likely, she probably rode on a donkey. How many of you ladies that have been pregnant think that sounds like a great idea? I mean, just a a fun time, seven, eight months pregnant, riding on a donkey. Uh, I mean, can you imagine the conversation when Joseph looked at Mary and said, Mary, uh, we got to go back home to my home, um, 90 miles away. And she's gone, uh... What you know? I mean, can you imagine what this must have been like? And yet, nonetheless, they made that trip—some ninety miles all the way back to Bethlehem—so that the prophecies in the Scripture could be fulfilled. And we don't know for sure, and but but we know in this story that they found their way to to an inn, and we've all seen. Uh, we've all seen the the, the the shows or we've all read the stories and things and in our mind. We think of the inn and, and we think, okay, they made this way all the way there and they got the way to the hotel. And We've all been in that situation probably where you pulled up to the hotel and it said, no vacancy you're like, come on, what's the deal here? I mean, you got 37 rooms, 86 rooms, and there's no vacancy. Not one room? You've got to be kidding me. And oftentimes, that's how we think that it happened with Joseph and Mary. But the truth is, is the inn was more likely just simply a house that maybe had an extra room in it. It it was probably like an Airbnb that we have today, right? I mean, it wasn't like multiple rooms in this great uh, structure where people were in. An inn was just simply a small place that probably had a single room in fact uh, the 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 innkeeper was was being very generous and saying you know what I don't have any place for you to stay but I've got a dry place that maybe' is a little warm over here in the stable and I'm sorry but but listen uh, I mean this has got to be better than sleeping out on the street like I mean there there was tons thousands of people that had come into to, to, to Bethlehem for for the census that was taking place and and so I said listen there, I, there's nowhere really for you to go I don't want you sleeping out on the streets so why don't you come in and you can sleep in my stable now I know that for some of you that just totally ruins your Christmas story and you've got a picture of an innkeeper standing there saying no there's nowhere to sleep and slamming the door and there's 37 rooms in his house and listen if that's your perspective of Christmas I don't want to ruin it so you just keep that okay but that's probably not biblically what happened okay but that's 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 what happened here here they are in this little staple, this, little, stable, this little, little, little place, and, and, and they don't have much. They're, they're surrounded by the animals as, as we always see in our little nativity scenes. And, and, and it's as that they're at this place that we come to verse number 7. And the Bible tells us, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there's no room for them in the end. Oh, what a beautiful picture. In fact, the swaddling clothes there has the idea of strips of clothing that often they would use to wrap someone who had just died. Prepare them for a burial. And then she took her her little little baby Jesus wrapped in these swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. But but even though I love the looks of this manger and and the wooden manger is so nice, the truth is is the feeding troughs were probably carved out of stone. And so it was probably this stone manger. And so this little baby wroth, wrapped in, in in death clothing was laid in a stone that was carved out for him. Doesn't that sound familiar? Isn't that amazing? The foreshadowing of what was going to take place. The foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ had come to do. That he was wrapped in gray's clothes and laid in a carved out stone. Just amazing. And then the story shifts as we come to verse number 8. In verse number 8, we're introduced to these shepherds that were out in the field taking care of the sheep. And don't forget that the shepherding, that was considered a very lowly position. You'll remember all the way back in 1 Samuel that we know of a man named David. But he wasn't a man at time. He was just a boy. He was the youngest in his house. And he was given the lowly position of going out and being a shepherd. That was oftentimes what the shepherds were. They were often the youngest in the house or the lowest on the total. I guess you could say uh, that would be the ones that would go out and be shepherds so these may have just been teenage boys maybe out there uh, taking care of the the sheep out there and it was to these lowly humble shepherds that the angels appeared and, and listen what a sight it must have been there they are I mean they're just out there and the Bible tells us that they were afraid okay because uh, the angel comes and he says be not afraid uh, listen we would all have been scared to death all right all of a sudden you're just standing out there I mean you're taking care of the sheep and all of a sudden in the sky that an angel is standing there just floating in the air okay I mean that every one of us would have been scared we had been terrified it doesn't matter if you're the manliest man in this room you would have been absolutely frightened okay that's exactly what took place here he says oh don't be afraid. don't be afraid listen i've got good news great tidings for all people I've, I've got a message for you on this day in the city of david is born a savior which is christ the lord but then we come to to verse number 13 and uh, and there they are and the angels are uh, the angel is there and all of a sudden he is just surrounded with a multitude look at verse 13 and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying. Now listen, it doesn't say that they were singing. Oftentimes we think that the angel sang these words. And, and again, we have to put things in context and actually read what the Bible actually says. It says that they were saying these words. But I kind of think that it made it sounded like singing, okay? But anyway, and, and so that, that's what took Look at verse number 14, and this is where we see the very first what we'll call the first Christmas song. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We've heard these words over and over again. We we probably maybe even could have quoted them before we came in here. If we could have just started you off, you'd say, oh yeah, I know that verse. We've heard these verses so many times, but we don't think about what is actually being said here. So for a few moments, let's learn some lessons from what I'm going to call the very first Christmas song. First of all, we see this. The praise of the Father. The praise of the Father. Look what he says. The angels cried out Glory to God in the highest for all of eternity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had dwelt together in heaven. But now Jesus Christ, as we just saw in John 1.14, was made flesh to dwell among us. And the angels could not help but lift up their voices in praise to the God in heaven. For 4,000 years, prophecies had been given, had been telling of the one who would come to this earth. Just two weeks ago, we talked all the way back in Genesis chapter number 3 where the Bible told us that God had a plan all along that He was going to send His Son by the seed of woman. And now Jesus is lying in that manger. In the first Christmas song, it began by praising God. You know, it's easy in life to get so busy that we fail to praise God. Especially this time of year where we're so busy focused on things and buying things and doing things and getting places and wrapping up loose ends and it's the end of the year and and we got all these things to do. And, And listen, we forget to praise God for all that He's done and for who He is. But the Bible tells us that the praise of God ought to continually be in our mouths all year long. Hebrews chapter number 13 verse number 15 says, By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. I mean it's so simple. The angels, what was the first thing that they did? Glory to God in the highest. And it ought to be the theme of our life. Glory to God. Praise God with everything that we do. It's so simple, but unfortunately, rather than making the praise of God a first thing in our life like the angels did, we make it an afterthought. It's one of those things where at the end of, of, of everything that's done, we look back and say, oh yeah, we should probably praise God for that. And it's just something. Let's just, I mean, it's just something that doesn't come natural to us. When for the angels, whenever they came, listen, it was the first thing on their mind: glory to God in the highest. Our life ought to be consumed with praising God. Yes, before you eat your Christmas meals, praise God. Hey, before you open your gifts, praise God. I mean, do it before. So you don't have to do it afterwards, okay? Because you might be disappointed, alright? No, but listen, praise God but before you do anything. Before you head to the family get together on Christmas Day, don't forget to praise God. And when you're praising God, listen, do it so that others can hear. Oh, don't forget when the angels were singing that first Christ- Christmas song and praising God, they were doing it in the presence of the shepherds. Listen, they weren't doing it for the shepherds. They were praising God because that's what they were created to do. But the shepherds could hear it. And they caught it. Because look what happens down in verse number 20. We saw it a few minutes ago. Sounds so familiar. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. Oh, listen. It's good for your kids to hear you praising God. It's good for your spouse to hear you praising God. I know it may feel awkward at first, but it's a good thing. It's good for your family. At your family get-together to hear you praising God. It's good for the world to hear you and see you praising God. Oh, listen, learn learn a lesson from this first Christmas song. The angels were praising God. Praising the Father. But then they went on, and the next thing that they did is they mentioned the promised peace. The promised peace. Look, Look again at verse number 14. Glory to God in the highest, they said. And on earth, peace. Peace. Listen, this wasn't peace from political unrest. It wasn't peace from Roman oppression. It wasn't peace from wars and turmoil. No, this peace was a person. We probably all have heard the verse Isaiah chapter number nine, verse number six. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, you ready? Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Even these lowly shepherds would recognize that this was more than just a promise for calm. This was the fulfillment of a promise that stemmed all the way back to the days of Isaiah and his promise and his prophecy, the prince of peace. But why would he be called the prince of peace if he did not give peace from the chaos of the day? In fact, as we study the life of Mark and study the book of Mark and we've studied the life of Christ in the book of Mark, we find that often conflict followed Christ, not peace. From the time he was a young man until the end of his life, everywhere that he went, conflict and and, and resistance followed him. Many opposed him. So, why was he called the Prince of Peace? Well, the angels proclaimed it. On earth, peace was now found. Well, Paul would later clarify for us in Romans chapter number five, verse number one. He said, This therefore, being justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. From the Garden of Eden, there was conflict because of sin. But now the only one who can give true peace with God had come. And the way that it happened was the last part of this verse. Look at the end here. Verse number 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Oh, but listen. Goodwill toward men. We see a planned savior. Every man in this room knows what it means to be in the doghouse. Okay. Some of us more than others. Okay? We 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 know what that what that means to be in the doghouse. You've done something or you've said something that has put you at odds with your wife. And while salvation is not of works, often your relationship with your wife greatly depends upon it, okay? It's just the truth. So on the way home from work, you buy some flowers. Or maybe you work on a project that she's been nagging or um, encouraging you about for months. At Christmas time, you give her a gift, you know, just a little early, just because. What are you doing? Some would say you're offering a peace offering, right? Okay, you're trying to make a peace offering. What are you doing? You're demonstrating, you're trying to demonstrate goodwill. Oh, I just, uh, I want to show you that I love you and that I was really dumb back there and that's not who I actually am. This is who I actually am. I am a goodwill person, right? That's what we're trying to show. Well, listen, understand this. This is—this is, Listen, if you've missed everything the message so far, you've got to listen to this last part because if you have never seen this, this is powerful. Man had broken God's law. Romans three ten tells us, as is written, there's none righteous, no not one. And verse number twenty three says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means everybody's failed. Nobody's perfect. Nobody. We've all sinned. And there's absolutely nothing that you or I could do to obtain that peace with God that He desires for us to have. Nothing you could do to earn the forgiveness for your sins. No gifts you could offer, no works that you could do. Nothing. You can't bring flowers to God. Doesn't work like that. But God flipped the script and demonstrated goodwill to you and to to me, even though we didn't deserve it. It's like, listen, this is this is mind blowing. It's like we screwed up. I screwed up. I failed God and He brought flowers to me. Okay? I mean, like I mean, put it in human human understanding here. Listen, it's it's like I messed up. I failed. I'm the one that needs to come and say, God, I'm sorry that I did that. But instead, God came to me. Why would the God of heaven show goodwill to men? When we were the ones that failed? Well, Isaac quoted the verse earlier. We saw it on the screen. John 3, verse number 16. For God so loved. He loves you. And He loves That's why the angels cried out in verse number 11, For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. See, we can have peace with God through the Savior that God sent to us who was born and laid in that manger. No man could have made up this plan because man thinks in transactions. We think... Okay, if I need to make this right, I have to do something. If you don't believe me, look at religion. You say, which one? All of them. Every one. Every one of them, you have to do these things to earn something. Why is it like that? Because that's man made. Man comes up with transactional ideas. Man comes up with transactional ways of dealing with God. But God's way is goodwill to men. He says, you have failed. So I give my son to you. To die on the cross for you. God and His graciousness. It's amazing. He took us out of the equation. And He sent His Savior to the earth. Wow. That's amazing. That's a miracle. I've heard it said this. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. And he was a baby, born and laid in a manger. And he grew up in this world, this sin-cursed world that you and I live in. And never once did he sin. Never once did he disobey the law of God. Never once did he do something that would taint his perfection. And after 33 years, he was falsely accused and nailed to a cross. And your sins and my sins were placed upon him. And he paid for our sins with his blood. And then three days later, he rose again from the grave. And there is absolutely nothing that you or I can do to obtain forgiveness of our sins on our own. It is only through God's plan the way that He designed it. How He sent that Prince of Peace, the Savior, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross to pay for your sins. It truly is the greatest gift that you could ever receive. The gift of your sins being forgiven and the promise of an eternity in heaven with God and if you've never received that gift you can receive it today you say but I don't know all of the answers listen I don't either and the truth is this no matter how much people may proclaim to know nobody has all the answers except for God And so if you're waiting to get all of the answers, listen, friend, you're going to wait until you find yourself waking up in a lake of fire one day. Don't wait. Don't wait. What you do have to know is that you are a sinner with no way out on your own. And you have to trust that Savior that those angels were singing about, Those angels that, the, the, that, that Savior that the angels were speaking about, who was born in that stable, that laid in a manger and gave His life on the cross. The only way that you can truly experience the peace of God, the Prince of Peace, it's found in a position that's found in a person named Jesus. The Bible tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus was hanging on that cross, giving His life for the people that put Him there. And while He was hanging there, one of those thieves on that cross looked over at Him. He said, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus looked at him and said, listen, you get off of that cross, you get baptized and then you can have it. No, that's not what happened. He didn't say, you know what? You've done a lot of bad things, but if you get off that cross and you do some good things to even things out, then pff, you'll, you're good to go. He looked at him and he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. What did this guy do? He understood that there was nothing that he could do. But he understood that the person that was hanging next to him had something that he couldn't obtain on his own. And he looked at this man that was hanging on the cross. It wasn't like Jesus was going to climb off the cross and save his life. I mean, like, Jesus could do nothing. In earthly eyes, he was carrying the weight of the whole world. Spiritual eyes. Looked at him, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, today, because you're trusting in me and not in yourself, Today you, should, you will be with me in paradise. And friend, if you're here this morning, if you've never prayed and accepted Christ as your savior, and maybe you're a person like I said, that needs to know all the answers. I think maybe that's what this guy on the other side of the cross was thinking. If you're really him, then, then save us and save yourself. Those men were crucified mere feet away but one woke up in the presence of God in heaven and the other spent eternity in a lake of fire. Not because any works that they did but because who they were trusting in. Friend, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior the Bible tells us that if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus that He is who He says He is. That He came and He was born in that manger, lived a sinless, perfect life, died on the cross to pay for our sins and rose again three days later proving that He is God. And you come to Him and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. Will you forgive me for my sin? The Bible tells us. He hears that prayer and He gives you the gift of eternal life. And it's the greatest gift that you can receive this Christmas you're christian here this morning and you've already accepted christ as your savior why don't you spend some time praising him for all he's done and who he is make it your first response rather than your last resort make it the thing that you do just immediately Glory to God in the highest. Oh, why? Because I have peace on this earth. Because of the goodwill that God showed me in sending his son to die on that cross. That God would send his son born of a virgin, laid in a manger. That truly is a miracle of Christmas. Oh, listen to the song that the angels sang. Glory to God. In the highest. And on earth. Peace. Goodwill. Toward men. Let's follow the example of the angels. And praise the Prince of Peace. And our Savior. Today. And every day. Because He deserves it. Let's have every head bowed. And every eye closed. This morning. If you're here this morning. And you've never accepted Christ as your Savior Listen, friend, today's a great day to do that. Every day's a great day to accept Christ as your Savior, but there's no better day than today if you've never made that decision. Friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never, there's never been a moment in your life that you have consciously asked Him to forgive you for your sins, if you've never done that, well, listen, friend, you can do it right where you're seated right now. When I was nine years old, I prayed and I said, Lord, would you... Forgive me for my sins. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I can't get to heaven on my own. I'm trusting in you and you alone to save me. You say, Kyle, do I have to say those exact words? No, the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me. But friend, if in your heart, in your heart of hearts, you just come to the Lord and say, God, I know that I can't do this. And I want your gift of eternal life. Will you forgive me for my sins? He'll answer that prayer right where you are. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, the praise of God has not been on my lips. There's been other things. There's been complaining, murmuring. There's been just stressful things. But I haven't been praising God, and I want that to be my first response, my number one reaction. I want that to be the theme of my life, just like the angels. I want to say glory to God in the highest. This morning, can I encourage you? Do that. Do that. Ask the Lord to help you to do it and do it so others can hear so that they will do it as well. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, let's stand together. The music's going to play. Father, bless now this time of invitation. Move in our midst and in our hearts and God, work as only you can. We pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, the music plays. I'd encourage you, why don't you respond to the Lord? Maybe you need to see, make your seat an altar right where you're at. And you just need to pray and come to the Lord. If you've never accepted Him as your Savior, if you've never done that, what's holding you back? I mean, what? why would you not accept the greatest gift? If somebody came to you with a gift that was wrapped, you would say, thank you. You would receive it. And yet God comes to you with His Son and says, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Will you receive this gift? And so many say, no, no, I'm good. Don't, don't reject the greatest gift that's ever been given. Receive it. Ask Him to forgive you for your sins and receive that gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, this morning, make praising God the thing of your life. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I hope that will be your cry over these next few days, especially around Christmas time. Those that you come into contact with, you just can't help it. You just got to talk about Him. Talk about what God's done for us. Thank God for Jesus coming and being born in that manger for you and for me. Oh, we've got so much to thank Him for hope that we'll spend time praising Him. It ought to be the default of our life. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, God, for the truths that we find in it. And God, I know this is a familiar passage. God, it's easy for us to miss just how powerful that it is. I pray, God, that this would just be a reminder and maybe we'd go home and we'd just continue to search the Scriptures. And God, that it would just be that rekindling in our hearts, Lord, to have that fresh, sweet relationship with You. God, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, coming to this earth being born of a virgin, living a perfect life, and then dying on that cross for for me, for each person in this room. I pray, God, that somebody here that hasn't accepted you as their Savior, God, in a crowd of this size, I have no doubt that there's probably one, two, maybe more. I pray, God, that that they would come to you humbly, God, and just ask you for that forgiveness of sins. What a wonderful promise that you promised to answer that That prayer and give eternal life. God, we are so grateful for the opportunity to come to worship you. May the praise of your name be continually on our lips, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, listen, as we finish up this.